Hello and welcome to Level Up and Friends, where those of us from the video game and comic book store Level Up Entertainment get together some friends and we discuss a different topic each week. This week we're talking our favorite uh, Nintendo Entertainment System games. Just so happens to work out, uh, we decided to do this on just the day after the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers. Woohoo! Uh, so, uh, from Level Up Entertainment this week, I'm Scott, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Sean. I'm one of the owners of Level Up Entertainment, and I've been playing video games since the Nintendo came out. That's all we I got. also you have... Uh... <laughs> I feel like that one didn't work, so... It's all good. Okay. <laughs> Just plow on through. That's how we do it on this show. <laughs> and we also have uh, Chris Randazzo with us as well. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris. I'm from uh, StoneAgeGamer.com. I'm co-founder of Geekade.com. I host Stone Age Gamers Podcast. I run their uh, social media, and uh, I have been gaming since I saw an Atari 2600 in my cousin's bedroom when I was just a wee lad. Uh, I am a Nintendo fanatic, and I'm really excited to talk about NES games with all of you lovely people. Yes. Um, so without too much further ado, we can kind of start getting into it. I think the NES might be my favorite uh retro console it's i don't know what it is something about the games i love the like the simplicity to them i love collecting the games and like having all the cartridges lined up i think it's the uniformity uh, i i enjoy for my ocd self um but like a big part of that is nostalgia i we did grow up with the nes mm-hmm. um the first thing i had was an atari 2600 but all my friends had nintendo and I was desperate to have one. I remember when we got one, finally, we got it uh, out of a want ad from the newspaper. It came with three games and I got a fourth and I, that I begged my parents for. And those are the only games I had for it as a kid. But it came with Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt and the Zapper, Ice Hockey and Teenage Mutant Ninja oh. Turtles, the first game. And then I begged them for Jurassic oh Park God. when that came out. Oh, That's wow. unfortunate. Those are two yeah. unfortunate games right there. Actually, I have Turtles. I, brought, I picked uh, out of my collection. Listen, nice. I loved, I loved it as a kid. I played so much ice hockey, though, because it's a two-player game, and I had a little brother. Um, ice hockey's great. I love it's ice so hockey. It's so good, and the music in that game does not get the, the, it doesn't get the recognition it deserves. That, mu- that game was composed by a woman named Soyo Oka, and she's the one who did the music to tie it all into the anniversary to the Super Mario All-Stars version of all the Mario games. She also wrote all the, the original music for Mario Kart. She's amazing. Look her up. Soyo Oka. Whoa! Great soundtrack to ice hockey. It's such wonderful that classic is, NES music. That is an amazing bit of trivia. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff you get when you invite Chris on your podcast. The, the only, the only trivia I was going to bring to that game is I liked playing with three big guys because you could hit people harder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the skinny guys could like zoom in and out of everybody. You get like one skinny guy and two fat guys. That was my, that was my team on ice hockey. Do you remember? I was going to say, there was like a, there's a strategy. Like the all fat guys is a noob strategy because like yeah. you'll just like <laughs> plow through. And you'll probably be all right. But if you're playing against somebody who knows the game, they're going to have like the actual mix of players and they're going to be getting their medium guy through and passing to the skinny guy who's going to run mm-hmm. circles around your fat guys, scoring you every time. And I love that game. <laughs> so that medium game guys are playing on a depth. I don't even, I only remember two of the teams on it because my friend and I would only ever play as the U.S. versus USSR. And I think it's the other teams, what, Canada and Sweden or something? Sweden was oh, my go-to. I love the yeah. colors on Sweden. We would, we would fight so hard to be They're who like, was going to be America and who was going to be the USSR. <laughs> uh, See, I, I adore ice hockey, but I was more of a Blades of Steel guy myself. I also love that game. I couldn't and get into Blades of Steel. I tried to. 
I, I yep. tried to get into Blades of Steel. I don't know. I think it was a little bit more complex than ice hockey. And I was just like, I like being it being more simple. Where the, the uh, and I like, I don't know. I guess I I got used to the the horizontal orientation for the rink. Oh yeah, it does well, Blades of Steel had that too. Did it? I remember it being. I remember it being. I think uh, you're thinking of uh, NHL. Yeah, yeah, like NHL '94 and all that stuff. Those were where they started getting all vertical. But with Blades of Steel, that was the I owned both ice hockey and Blades of Steel as a kid, and I love that we just jumped right into talking about NES yeah. games with with ice hockey because it's a great representation of the kind of stuff that was happening on the NES that wasn't happening anywhere else uh, when it came out because it's an early title, right? Like that's yeah. I don't it, think it was launched, but it's it's very close to. It's got to be. Know, in launch window well ice hockey was kind of in that second tier like if you look at the box for ice hockey it's got the it's when they were transitioning out of the the black box stuff you know so right. it still it has that silver yeah it still has that kind of strip where the mm-hmm. the writing is like ice hockey but it's a blue solid blue box and a photograph came out around the same time as like rc pro-am i think uh yeah, so it's but probably it was... like 88 i think but it was still like, you know, it was this representation of a real life sport in a way that was accessible and fun, which oh kind my of God, is yeah. what Nintendo went on to just be known for. I and love it NES sports was, games. Right. Like you, what other system can you say that about really? Like, like I love the sports games for a system and like NES has, they were just fun. Right? Yeah. They were really focused on the simplicity and they had two buttons. There was only so many technical limitations but once you got into the 16-bit era with genesis and you started seeing a lot more complex and realistic things i understand why people really dug that stuff but it kind of really left me behind because i'm not a huge sports fanatic as it is so that's true you could once, say the genesis people are the genesis is known for having oh definitely i rescind my comment yeah. about- <laughs> um I, I, I prefer more the more arcadey takes on sports games just in general because usually like once a console generation i'll get a, a, a an itch for like oh i want to play a football game or something and generally gravitates more towards like an nfl blitz versus a madden stuff mm-hmm. like that or like nba jam i was super stoked when they brought that back on playstation 3 <laughs> um like those are more what what i like to look for in them but i guess with with that we'll start going into some of our uh our favorite nes games and um when i was thinking about it i realized most of my favorite games are very pedestrian in in in, uh in my choices um because i'm gonna (laughs) say yeah we're we're not going to slag you yeah like like, getting deep enough cuts because i'm gonna start off the mario yeah well i was gonna start off the discussion i i my favorite mario game for 2d is uh, Super Mario Brothers 3. I just love that game. It, it Something about the way it handles. Like, I like to use it as an example of, like, how the beginning and end of a console cycle and people developers being able to see what they can do with it. Like, look at Super Mario yeah. Brothers versus Super Mario Brothers 3 just on a graphical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's huge difference. Well, Super um, Mario Brothers 3 is, is darn near platforming perfection. I mean, it's my favorite. I'm more of a Super Mario World kind of guy. Uh, I was going to ask because I think there's it's like a that's the debate split, right you know, like, right it's just like, like Mega Man two or Mega Man three it's it's oh, Mario World three or one. Mario World and and I I fall in the Mario World camp but I mean absolutely no slag to Mario three it's it's one of the best games ever it's it's easily one of my favorite NES and games I'll say the the only reason I like it more than Super Mario World is just because I played it as a kid I did not mm. have a Super Nintendo. Mm. So the nostalgia yeah. aspect, like I played a lot of my uh, Mario World at other friends' houses 
when that was, you know, when Super Nintendo was new. But like Mario 3 is just, it's just that, that nostalgia edge. And it's got that like NES charm to it. Like, yeah. Really like that, their 8 bit aesthetics that they had. Um, well, why, that, why don't we backpedal just a little bit? Because yeah. I feel like uh, we were going to go talk about all of our histories with the NES. And oh, that sure, might sure. be a really good groundwork when we're talking about our, our different respective yeah. feelings on things. So, uh, so Scott, you got yours out of one ad, right? Yep. Yeah, and you got, yeah, we did start with it. We just went right into it. <laughs> yeah, just went right into it. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. Ice Hockey and Ninja Turtles. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what about, you? what about you, Sean? That's it. You know what? I have a very vivid memory of getting my Nintendo. Uh, and I had played it before I got it, right? I was familiar with it. <laughs> uh, my neighbor who lived, he shared her backyard. Like, I have a backyard in a suburb, you know, neighborhood where there didn't used to be a fence. So you could just walk all you know into other people's yards and he was an older kid who had an atari 2600 and an nes and i would go over there and just like knock on the door maybe like three or four years old just to play his video games uh and it must have been it must like i'm trying to pinpoint exactly when i got it like which christmas it was but it came with duck hunt uh track and field or not track and field world-class track meet that's it World class track meet because track and field is a different game, uh, yeah. and the power pad and the zapper. It was like the the three in one combo with Super Mario Brothers, and was... it was in the giant box. But like that wasn't launched, so it wasn't the first year. But I was very young, like I, I must have been about five. I want to anyway, say that was eighty six, eighty seven. It it probably was. Uh, that was closer to nineteen ninety, I think. Was it okay. really? So I played it for a while at neighbors then. And my memory is very foggy, but I do remember getting it uh, for that Christmas. My mom ran out of wrapping paper because the box was so big since it had the power pad in it. Yeah. So like all of those sides were covered except for the one back. And I was like, I know exactly what that is. Like that's the Nintendo. And I was so excited knowing that I was going to get a Nintendo on Christmas uh, that I it, like, that was probably one of the best Christmases ever just because of that Nintendo. 88, sorry. Yeah, that makes sense then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I had so I had been playing it for quite a while. Like so, I remember getting you know Zelda and uh, Blades of Steel and some of the earlier games like the Turtles game, Ghostbusters. Because I was a kid and in the eighties and really bad at picking games. Oh, I mean, uh, I would have been all over that game if I knew it existed as a kid. I'm really glad you dodged that bullet, Scott, because that's an atrocious title. Uh, what was that? Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Oh, Ghost. Oh, right. That's right. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Ninja Turtles again. I was like, wait, didn't he have that one? Yeah, I'll be no, honest. Ninja Turtles is also bad. I'll be honest. It is. Not as bad as Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is borderline unplayable. As a kid, I would have liked Ghostbusters. But, you know, so I, you know, I grew up playing Nintendo games and it completely shaped uh, who I became as a human being uh, to the point that I opened a video game store yeah. to sell Nintendo games. So that's, that's my, my short but not so short backstory. Well, what about you, Chris? Yeah. Well, uh, kind of a similar situation. My first NES was also the one with the power pad. I, uh, nice. I got an Atari 2600 Junior uh, from a KB Toys in the Hamilton Mall. And, uh, <laughs> Everything goes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I, uh, I just loved that thing backwards and forwards. I was obsessed with it, but I didn't really travel outside you know, you hang out with friends that also had video games uh, at the time. And 
uh, so I would just, I, that's what video games were to me, were the Atari 2600. I didn't really go to arcades or anything like that. And I just obsessed over the box art and how, how glorious all that was. And then eventually um, my friend Joey, who lived behind me, was like, you got to play my Nintendo. I was like, what's a Nintendo? <laughs> so I went over to his house and he shows me Super Mario Brothers. And it was just this <laughs> moment. Oh, yeah, I know that going from Atari 6600 <laughs> to Super Mario Brothers is my cousin had it. It's the first time I saw it. Right. He also he had the one with Duck Hunt, and I remember him shooting at the screen and killing a duck, and I couldn't comprehend it. <laughs> That's the oh, same yeah. thing for me. First yeah. it was, wait, the screen moves? Like it scrolls? <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> I, hey, I could, it's I'd, a bush, and I could tell that it's yeah, a bush. It looks like what it's supposed that. to be. Um, yeah. <laughs> And then it was, uh, then it was duck hunt, and he showed me shooting at the screen and the ducks and the dog, and I just, I was just absolutely in love. So we begged my parents to get one, and it was must have been like a year later we finally got it. And uh, so I played a handful of games over at you know friends' houses and whatnot, but we finally got it. We got it with the you know Mario Duck Hunt World Class Track Meet that triple pack, which I just mm-hmm. still love to this day. The power pad's amazing. Uh, and you then still have just, yours. I yeah I do I have I, I was I play with my kids now actually because World Class Track Meet's still pretty fun. Uh, one of the games I wanted to talk about was actually a, a power pad game, a short order and explode, which was oh, a later yeah. power pad game that's just super fun, uh, especially when you get a couple of kids just like running back and forth on the pad. <laughs> you're basically playing Simon with your feet to build giant burgers. It's a that's it's awesome. a fantastic game, but yeah, and then it just kind of it swelled from there. The Legend of Zelda was a, a, another life changer for me. The Super Mario Brothers Super yeah. Show, uh, yeah. watching that every day after school. Um, oh, Zelda Two right back here was another huge game for me i loved zelda 2 so much uh obsessed over it and uh, just any just... games i could get my hands on i tried i rented games all the time and oh yeah i, I remember renting games uh <laughs> man it was it was a little bit of a rolling the dice i'll say sometimes you get something great and sometimes mm-hmm. uh, you get some more often than not you get something terrible because i didn't have nintendo power and like so for instance, my friends didn't like. Hang oh, on, Scott. Real, let's yeah. let's back up just a bit before you you talk about Nintendo. You know, not having Nintendo power. Like, we should talk about the fact that you know to pick these games, most kids didn't have access to any information mm-hmm. about yeah. what these games actually were, okay. other than just the, the box. boxes. Well, that's just where I was, that's where I was going with. So, like for example, none of my friend groups played Mega Man, so I never played those games until I was way older. Like I, there was just a big blind spot that I had because I didn't subscribe to the magazine and I didn't have friends that talked about it. So because of that, I also didn't really get into Zelda until later either. But I was more aware of that because it had a cartoon. Hmm. But yeah, like uh, I, I was hoping someone would bring that up. That idea that like you know you would have to roll the dice when whether buying or renting a game. And oftentimes, like I, I mentioned before, being a stupid kid in the 80s, like mm-hmm. you saw the licensed characters, have, mm-hmm. they all had their own games, you know, Ghostbusters, Ninja Turtles, I mentioned, uh, you name it, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, if you happen to see that movie and want an NES game that existed. And it would be really unfortunate if you picked that one up. Yeah, yeah, like that you was your whole weekend. Crazy, yeah. Right? Yeah. I, will, you would, say, yeah, you I, I will say. You just commit to them, though. Because like I, as bad as they were, you were a little kid. What you had. That's all you had. Yeah. What you had for the weekend, and like you know what, the Ninja Turtles are still in the game, so you're still getting to play as the Ninja Turtles. As brutally difficult as it is, you just keep playing it and playing and coming back to it. Mm-hmm. I will say, I think 
talking about the, the license games on there, I think the NES had a surprisingly good ratio of uh, of NES games that are licensed that are, that are good versus bad because you could just as easily pick up DuckTales mm-hmm. and, and have an amazing weekend or most of the, the Disney stuff that you would find. Uh, uh, counterpoint, uh, I bought Mickey Mousecapades uh, as a child because Mickey Mouse was on the cover and mm-hmm. that game sucks. <laughs> well, that's because Mickey's bad to begin with. That game is terrible. <laughs> now, a it's lot of people like to child. slag on LJN, but uh, I used to love Jaws for NES, and I'd never I even think, seen the darn movie. I think Jaws I love that as a kid fine. too. Yeah, it's, it's a very arcadey, shallow game, but that it works on NES. And as a kid, like it's the mindless fun. If I got mm-hmm. that for a weekend, it wouldn't be so bad. But then I would get something like X Men, and it's just indecipherable mess. <laughs> right, like it's no. not as. Like Jaws, I think there's more of a spectrum, really. Like I think yeah. in, in hindsight, we can say like the Capcom games, were, licensed games, were actually really great on the Nintendo. Mm-hmm. But like there were LJN so many LJN games, they were just churning them out. And then there were other studios doing the same thing, and they were oftentimes not just like not good games, but like unplayable or like like you said, indecipherable. Like yeah. if you didn't have the manual, like God forbid you rented it from a place and didn't get, like photocopy the manual mm-hmm. to tell you that the select button is the only way to switch your weapon on. And then if you don't like press it first, you can't attack or like, you know. Did you guys ever spend a weekend trying to figure out what the heck you were supposed to do in Bart versus the Space Mutants? Yes. <laughs> No, my cousin yes. played it at their house, and I was like, I don't need to rent this. What a weird game. No, sorry, they had Bart it. versus the World. Uh, that's the one I played as a kid. I never played that one. I gave up after Bart versus the Space Mutants. No, that was I'm the not, right move. I'm not doing best. this anymore. Uh, that is a perfect example of a licensed game that lures you in. Like The Simpsons, man. It was the hotness. It was the big thing, and that game came out. And you're like, it's Bart. It's hard. It's that game is borderline unplayable because there are some like conditions in the game that you can't get past if you do it wrong. Apparently, I I'm yeah, not yeah, being specific because no, I don't you, remember. You but can, you can soft lock the game. Yeah. Bar versus Space Mutant specifically, because Bar for this world had like level select like Mega Man, so you can get not play the parts you don't like as much. But I will say like some games that have a really so bad, bad rap now that like look really bad in retrospect. Like we talked a little bit about it in the Back to the Future episode, but that's really not that bad a game. It's just not, no. Just not a very good. I will fight you. Back to the future. I I will fight you. That game is awful. Back to the Future was a game that my friend Joey and I rented. I had never seen the movie, and he said, "Oh, we you've got to see." He was talking about that movie and how great it was. And we went to go see what game were we going to rent. And we saw that there was a Back to the Future game. I was like, I trust you. Let's rent it. So we went back to his house and we walked right back to the rental <laughs> store and says, I don't want this. I want my money back. And they wouldn't give us our money back. And we said, fine, take the game. We'll just not play video games this weekend or we'll play something we own. We'll because just, outside, just yeah. That's no. what I'm saying. I'm right there with you, Chris. Yes, Sky, I think you're going to lose this one because like that game right. has one song except – I'm sorry. Let me correct myself. There are two songs in that game. There's a song that plays throughout the entire game that's just... Listen, Mario Brothers is And then there's a Jenny Be Good level, if you can get that far. That's just a crappy 8-bit Jenny Be Good song. And it's a, that game is... It's, oh my it's God, a perfectly I hate playable, arcade kind of game. It's not good, but... Like, no, it is not perfectly playable. Inflation detection's terrible. It's, you get it's better than it's... Anyway... Like, I want this podcast to mostly focus on things that we like. So let's move on to the games that we want, that we are our favorites and we would like to talk about. I'm sorry, you just triggered some flashbacks and 
I, I, I will stand on that hill that Back to the Future and some other of those games aren't as bad as people make them out to be for comedic effect online. Hey man, I will defend I will defend ET to the death. I loved that game. I think ET's fine. I ET is people. fine, especially considering yeah. this. Well, look, some, I was a little some, kid and you pushed real... the button on the controller and ET made a fart noise. Dude, there was there nothing some... else I needed out of life. Dude, there are some See? real garbage on the 2600 that people yeah. don't even talk about, but they talk about it cuz it's ET. Mm-hmm. But you're right, Scott, you're right. Yeah. Let's talk about let's yeah, talk so... about positive things so sean what's one of your favorite uh nes games you would like to talk about oh man so i have uh much like when we were talking about super nintendo i started writing out like a list of games that i wanted to like mention and it just becomes like untenably long that you can't possibly talk about it which is cool that the nintendo like spawns so many indelible franchises that we still have today you know uh but i think that I wanted to talk about like Mega Man the most because Mega Man was one of those game series that I remember playing the first game and thinking it was cool, but not like enjoying it very much. Like I remember getting like hitting a wall, you know, with the guts man level with the platforms. It's really hard to tell, figure out the timing until you're an adult and you realize, Oh, it's when it's under the circle. And then you have to jump. Yeah. That thing but, on the left, that's when it's going to go down. Right. Ah. But as a kid, I couldn't do it. And then, you know, Mega Man 2 came out, and I remember having this, um, it was like, it was like a game guide, sort of, but it was multiple games, and it was spiral bound. It was like mm-hmm. a blue I know which one you're talking about. Do you know? Right? Yeah, like, yeah, I know that had, one. I loved it. I got it uh, like a book fair. And it had Mega Man 2 featured in it. And I remember looking at the levels and thinking it looked like super cool. Because they had like the Airman stage had like the demon head thing. And mm-hmm. I eventually rented that game. I never owned it until I became an adult. And I purchased it in Japan. And I bought like all of the Rockman titles, which is what they call Mega Man in Japan. But I remember, long story short, I played that game and I fell in love with it. And I played most of the other games on the Nintendo until I think five because five was when it started to be well into the uh, Super NES's life and I had moved on. Uh, But Mega Man on the Nintendo felt like such an evolution of video games happening in real time, Hmm. uh, where the controls were unbelievably tight and responsive. The graphics were stylized enough to kind of overcome the limitations of the system. You know, it can only show so many colors, but they're using them in really interesting ways. And the music is just, it's, it slaps like it's just you it doesn't matter if you like video game music or not you listen to the music from Mega Man 2 and you're like this music's amazing and I, like, to this day people are still covering tracks from it mm-hmm. and I just felt and like the series was you know you can say it like too iterative as it went on but like Mega Man 2 and 3 are just so phenomenal I, I would uh, say two, I say Mega Man 1 through 3 are the perfect example of having a good idea and then refining it to perfection Mm-hmm. after three there's not i mean obviously you can make new levels with new kinds of gimmicks and new power-ups and stuff but the core of the game was basically done you didn't have to do it right yeah, I, w- I would agree four introduced the charge shot which kind of intrinsically played the what uh, changed the way you played the game where mm-hmm. you're now constantly charging and waiting to do all that kind of stuff also four is probably my least favorite numbered Mega Man game on the nes until you get to you don't play. like ring man and dust man not particularly like i mean i think five is pretty cool i think six has got some really good stuff in it four just just doesn't doesn't rub me the right way man 
But that's yeah. a good point. Like four, four is where it started to lose me uh, because of the charge shot because it kind mm. of broke that flow of the game that two and three had like really mastered. Uh, and it also obscured the music, which was such a big part of the game. <laughs> now, now you're gonna <laughs> yeah, yeah. the whole time you're hearing that instead of yeah. the music. Really good point. But like with with two and three, it just felt like the coolest video games. You know, uh, video games could be anything. Uh, uh, you could get better at them. They were fairer. They were so challenging. They were interesting. Like you never knew what you were going to see next. They rewarded replaying it. You know, because there were secrets to unlock, and you could get better by picking the right path with the robot masters. And uh, and then just like the story behind the game, uh, the fact that Mega Man Two. Uh, Chris, you could probably tell the story better than I could, but like to my recollection, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it was kind of a passion project uh, from the creator of the series. He didn't really have the green light at Capcom to make a sequel to Mega Man 1, but he wanted to do it. So he worked uh, with a small team and like after hours, he stayed in the office and just kept working uh, to make this game until, you know, they were like, here, we made a game. And they're like, oh, uh, okay, we'll make Rockman 2 then, I guess. Uh, I guess it, that's probably like the too long, not quite accurate, but close enough. As far as I know, that's that's pretty. That's that's just about right. That's but, what I know of the story. Yeah, please check my facts out. But uh, I love that idea, and I feel like it shines through in the game. And like, whether it's video games or movies or whatever, that's the kind of stuff that I'm drawn to, where you can see like the the passion of the creator. Just like they wanted to do it because they just had this idea, and it was super worth doing. We're uh, playing, uh, my son and I are playing through all the Mario games uh, in order, and we're on Yoshi's Island right now. And there's an actual spot in that game, one of the little talkie blocks that where the creators like, we poured our hearts and soul to this game, in this game, and I hope you're enjoying it. Like, and you can tell it shows Absolutely. 100% through how much Other love went into game. it. And I, you can read all that in Mega Man 2. Like, that game was just yeah. totally yeah. made out of a drive. I got to make this game. And, and it's it's a masterpiece. And before, so, yeah, that's from, the game. I that's the one I would throw. Yeah. Before we move on from Mega Man, though, there's something that that Mega the Mega Man series did that I think was actually very revolutionary for the time that nobody really talks about, and that's choosing your stage. Because mm -hmm. as a kid, you have to play these levels over and over to memorize them. But like, you might get really sick of World One One after a certain point. Well, if you get yeah. that sick of like Air Man stage, you can just move on to Metal Man stage play that and like i think really that, point. that variety was very novel and was really almost exclusively to that the only other game i could think of at the time that would let you do that is uh silver surfer there were a few other titles like uh there was a limited map selection in bionic commando you could pick like which path you were gonna go oh. uh Castlevania was, 2 for game boy let you do uh, that yeah Castlevania 3 had branching paths too a Castlevania were, 2 for game boy that one uh Belmont's Revenge, you got that to choose had a map. the different uh, yeah, got to choose the different which which area you want to go to and what order. And I guess that's a little untrue because one of the games I'm gonna bring up later is one of my favorites has level select in it as well. But, but it's still it's still it's a novelty it's, for the time, yeah. You, oh yeah, it's, it's a definitely good point not the norm. too. Yeah. Because like it keeps it like these games are games that you have like we said, you would have to play again and again and again because you die constantly and have to restart because they had that continue system where you'd yeah. wipe your progress because of the weird you know, like arcane, uh, arcade, you know, uh, yeah. gameplay design so seeped into it. But like that kept it fresh, right? Like if you, yeah. you, like you said, if you got sick of it, you'd be like, ah, screw Heat Man. I'm going to try Bubble Man. 
Maybe in your yeah. better at Bubble Man stage. Like I said, it wouldn't ruin your weekend. You didn't get stuck on a level you can't beat. You can just try yeah. another one. Or like yeah. my examples, I owned four NES games. So I played them a lot. And like Jurassic Park is terrible and was <laughs> indecipherable as a kid. But I played a lot of it because uh, I had it. Um, but yeah, so I, Mega Man's great. I'm not going to make you pick two or three. I think it's great to bring them out together. They're so indelibly linked in quality uh, that it, it's, I think it's fool yeah. to try to pick one versus the other. So hard to three say. Guy. <laughs> I say I, I'm a little bit of a two guy. I, like I think two. Yeah. And I, I can respect that. It, it really, and I respect three as well. You know, like me and my, uh, my co-host on Stone Age Gamer, Dan, he's also a Mega Man 2 guy. And we had a whole episode on Mega Man 2 or 3. And it really just comes down to what it is that you like about Mega Man. What three does is, you know, introducing Rush. It introduces the slide. It introduces mm-hmm. Proto Man. You get to fight all the the Doc Robots and the Doc Robot stages. Now, some would mm-hmm. argue that that makes the game too long. I think it makes the game uh, just long enough. <laughs> it um, the sensibility of when you pause, how quick it goes into the pause menu that slides up from the bottom and then slides back down. The um, the fact that when you get to Wily's Castle, it doesn't play an entire tune. It just does the lightning bolt while and the little draw, line draw while the music is playing. It's happier. <laughs> Mega Man doesn't slide as much. It's the first game where they tightened his controls. You know, That it stuff is. speaks so much to me. Whereas Mega Man 2 has this raw, uh, just pure love quality to it. Like Mega Man 2's got the weirdness of like, okay, it's not the robot dog. It's just item two. And it's this little rocket <laughs> with a giant nose that you jump on that flies that way. It's weird. Yeah. And so he bans a giant Zippo layer. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm kind of a two guy too. I love that there is like, this is a conversation that I've had with multiple people throughout the years, like at the store between Mega Man 2 and 3. And every time I say I think I like two a little bit more, I play three, and I'm like, oh, you know, this game's really good. Yeah, yeah but then you can go yeah, back and play two, and like two's got a, a difficulty select right at the get go. Um, uh, I love that. That, some... that that opening screen. It's just yeah. That, talk about limited graphics. It's like a black screen with per, like a couple of shades of purple and white, and it's that music. And it's mm, so the building epic going as it, up. like rises uh. over the building, and it's there's barely any story to Mega Man games. Like it's yeah. it's. Mostly in the go back and learn that mythology. Like, I started with Mega Man 2, that was my first Mega Man, and like Mega Man 1 was this mythological thing because nobody had it for rent, I didn't see it in any stores. But my one friend Steve actually had it and went there for like a Cub Scout meeting. And I was like, You have Mega Man (laughs) 1? And I looked at the cartridge, like, This is Mega Man (laughs) 1? That box art was so weird. But then I played the game and it was just just crazy. And then, uh, reading the instruction manuals because I used to pour over instruction manuals when I was a kid, you know. The first one was about Wily stealing his robots and reprogramming them. And then Mega Man 2 was about him building his own. And I thought that was super cool. And then in Mega Man 3, he's like, tries to be a good guy again to build Gamma, which then he steals and rah. Yeah, I love that they did that. That Like a, a lot of the games would do that, have all this like pattern, this world building throughout the manual, like the monster mm-hmm. descriptions and like the, the backstory for the, you know, like the Zelda titles. Yeah. Uh, the manual for Link, uh, the Adventures of Link is amazing. amazing. Better than the game because you said you loved it and I was going to fight you <laughs> and tell you it was bad. But, <laughs> but I do like the game. Like I loved the game as a kid when it came out. I wanted to love it. Uh, I, I, because, like, but, but I don't want to get too yeah. off track. I think, Scott, did you say your game yet? 
Oh no, yeah, like? I brought up Mario Brothers Three. Uh, Mario Brothers Three. Um, so Chris, uh, what what what's one of the what's one of your favorite games you would yeah, like to Chris. talk about? Well, I mean, if we're not going into the the deeper cuts yet, because we wanted to kind of talk about yeah, some well, of the lesser known ones, but if I'll go with some of my uh, the Mario, the Metroid, the Zelda, um, I'm kind of torn here on on which one of the more upfront ones to say. Uh, but just because I love it a little bit more, I'll have to say Blaster Master. Oh, it's such a um, good one. Blaster Master for NES is uh, it's in my top 10 games of all time for any platform. Uh, Another amazing soundtrack. um, uh, Naoka Kodaka did it, who did a bunch of stuff for Sunsoft. So if you've played a Sunsoft game, chances are you've heard other music uh, from Kodaka, which is just outstanding. But that was one of the first metroidvania games i'd ever played right that was the one of the first yeah. where everything was really connected because i didn't get to play metroid until after i had played blaster master um so you, the, first off the game just looks outstanding the art direction in that game the way it looks on an nes is still just it blows my mind it looks like it has so much more detail than it actually does yeah. because it's just such clever art direction but you know that you can get in and out of the tank and run around as this little dude and then you go into a door and so it turns into this three. top-down thing so you're this this vehicular side-scrolling platformer shooter thing where you're exploring all over the place but then it changes into the zelda style thing and it's like mm. what this is crazy yeah. but i remember starting that game on the first screen there's this little platform right in the upper left corner of the screen that just looks like it's decorative and i just kept thinking to myself i read the manual I know I can get stuff that can make me fly. As soon as I get the flight ability, I'm going right back there because I'm going to see what's up there. So you get through world one and you get the, uh, the gun that lets you blow up the frog thing to get into world two. You beat world two and it gets you the gun that shoots through the walls so you can get the world three. You go to area three, sorry, area three, not world. Yeah, you go to area three, beat that boss, which took me forever to beat that boss. Finally beat the thing with all the blocks that appear all over the room. Gets the hover abilities. Like, yes. So I went all the way. I didn't even look for World 4. I didn't even <laughs> think about looking for Area 4. All I wanted to do was see what was on that shelf. And what was on that shelf was more hover. So I grabbed that power up and I was like, okay. So I flew even higher. There was another one. And there was another one. Keep refilling your hover. And I go down this. You find this other extra door up top. You fall all the way down to the bottom. Go into the giant door. Boom. Area 4. Oh, so that was the way to go <laughs> so and to beat the whole time. It was the way to go the whole time. The game yeah. never ceases to amaze me on how incredibly, awesome. just expertly crafted, top to bottom that game is. It is so freaking good. You know what? You're talking about how, because the game does look fantastic, and you mentioned it being a Metroidvania. As far as NES goes, I think it's a better Metroidvania than Metroid. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because Metroid is too hard to parse where everything is because mm-hmm. so much, because it's such an, an earlier game, right. it's harder to build a mental map. Yeah, I mean nothing against Metroid. It's yeah. it's a work it's a work of genius, but it's effectively been replaced by Zero Mission. I mean, oh, yeah, there's not a lot of reason to go back to the NES Metroid other than nostalgia. I mean, it is it is still. No, go ahead. I will say I, will, I I need to step in. I feel like I have to defend my girl and uh, one of my favorite games of all time because like talking about games that sucks you into the Nintendo, hearing the Metroid soundtrack, you know, the title screen. It was immediately like, oh my god, oh my what god, what is this? Like that's him. Tanaka kid. was what that is. That is Hirokazu Tanaka, one of the best composers on the freaking planet. Three, oh my three god. haunting notes, and I'm just like riveted by it. So I love that game, and I think the only reason to go back to it is not is not just nostalgia, but for historical reasons. That's kind that's of, what I meant like, to say. Not nostalgia for historical like, purposes. Absolutely you know, like right, to understand yeah. the evolution of the early days of Nintendo, but. 
I felt like as a kid that Metroid was easier to understand than what Blaster Master needed me to do. I got would I'd get stuck in Blaster Master, whereas in Metroid I could eventually figure it out. You know what I mean? Uh, so like I'll just say that like from my experience, it was sort of the opposite. Right. Okay. But I, I think but, it all comes down to the way you play it too, because the thing with with Blaster Masters, I eventually figured that out just from from playing it and beating my head against the walls, because the topography in that game is all very different. There aren't a lot of rooms that look the same, which is something right. that Metroid has a quote unquote problem with. However, with I Metroid, I would agree that it is not as fun to play Metroid One as it is to play Zero Mission. Zero no, Mission I, is Metroid One, but better. Yeah, yeah. No, and when I say if you're like learning how to learning video games or whatever, like if you're a kid, you want to get somebody into Metroid. Like if I want to introduce my son to Metroid, I'm not going to give him the NES Metroid because he's totally like, agree. I wouldn't do that to my children either. <laughs> exactly. Like if I want to get him into Metroid, but at the same time, I wanted to see that because seeing the bit NES Metroid makes Super Metroid so much more impactful. You know, because uh, it doesn't. Brinstar isn't visually designed after the Zero Mission Brinstar. It's designed right. after the NES one. So seeing that's one thing. But the thing about Metroid that really harkens back to the things that I loved about Atari games and the way that I beat that one was graph paper, right? It's yes. like going back to the days of, of adventure and whatnot on, the, on Atari because yeah. it, you couldn't really map out Blaster Master as easily because it was... It, it didn't even feel like it was I was getting super lost. It's like, okay, well, this is this is what this place looks like, and this is not what this room looks like, so I'll go to that room that looks like this other room. But Metroid is just labyrinth after labyrinth. So yeah. you just get graph paper, and you start drawing screen yeah. by screen. This is what the map is shaped like, and that was how I made my way through that game. And, ah. Uh, Right. I don't. I don't want you to think I'm besmirching Metroid. I just think that. <laughs> oh, I know you. Yeah. I know you too well, Chris. I know you wouldn't. I just felt like I had to jump in and. No, talk and, about, and that's uh, and that's fair. We we're kind of poo pooing it slightly. I, I do, but I do think um, uh, maybe you know yeah like I think Metroid One from a, has more value as a historical con uh, context now than it does as a game in the World War Zero mission. Right. For the record, just, yeah. just to clarify, I do not disagree with the other review. It yeah. is not that fun to play now. Like, it is actually fun pretty fun to play on the Switch, though. With the rewind feature, it makes that game a lot more fun. Yeah, actually, I, I, that's one of the games that I will routinely replay once in a while. But like, uh, that's for me, that's nostalgia. I know like, it is <laughs> very difficult to navigate. Uh, I'm entering Narpus Sword if I'm playing that game now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Justin Bailey. Uh, yeah. Line, 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 line. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I like I like I like her in the suit. I, I like I like the Samus's power suit. It's just so cool. And with Narpasword, you get the super Narpa thick freeze ray, which is all bizarre. But mm -hmm. anyway, we're just like yeah. I, I feel like we've lost anyone who doesn't actually uh, hasn't grown up with forty years of Nintendo. Well, uh, <laughs> I will say uh, my my next favorite game I want to talk about is a my favorite game on the console. And B might is a contender for my favorite game just in general. Um, and it might be a little surprising, but that's Kirby's Adventure. Oh, what a good game. Um, really good and game. A, yes, great pick. It, it's probably, yeah. it's as an adult, it's definitely easy because, I mean, it's a Kirby game they're designed to be. But as a kid, I felt such a sense of accomplishment with that because I it's the first game I 100%ed and you had to really use your brain for some of the things you have to find. Because some of the stuff in levels you have to find like, only certain power-ups will hit certain switches or do certain, or you'll be able to get through certain blocks. And mm -hmm. sometimes you have to get those power-ups from another stage and bring them to the other, to bring them to the, the stage that has the switch and be able to navigate it and keep it throughout. 
I think that was a fun challenge to like figure out what was to do. Um, but I, I will say that game also did have a, a stage select screen as you as you unlocked more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was also, also but like, that was very late. Yeah, it was, was super late. late. Yeah. yeah, that animation for him swinging the sword is just some of the coolest of animation on the platform. The world. That was my also, favorite power up as a kid because it's you're swinging a sword and it's all awesome. exactly. It's great, yeah. Kirby. Now he's got a sword, <laughs> and, and like, then you have to fight Meta Knight with a sword, and it's yes, so, it that was, was so, so cool. That was and it was so awesome. weird, right? Because yeah. you had played. I mean, if you were like me, you were obsessed over Kirby's Dreamland before this, right? So Kirby's Dreamland is this super cute little thing, and all you can do is inhale bad guys and spin them out. Yeah. And the NES one rolls around, and not only is he in color, but you can absorb powers now. And then you get this weird little mythology where it's like you fight Meta Knight, and his mask comes off, and he looks just like you, except he's all black like what is that we can't what figure it he? out and then it had a big twist at the end here the whole game you got to fight king ddd and it turns out he wasn't the bad guy yeah the nightmare was and i do want to talk about the one of the most impressive yeah. just one of the most if you've never seen it just youtube the the whole last boss fight of kirby's adventure for nes and i defy you to not be impressed by it just because it starts off as like a scrolling shooter and there's multiple parallax layers of scrolling going on. And then just the way the music lines up with the actual fight with the nightmare, because he shoots you down and the music, it kind of is, it's got this little like, and he shoots you down and as you're scraping all across the ground and stand up, it's got this amazing, amazing rhythm where it just, the boss shows up and at, on rhythm with the music, which is not something you get too often in NES games where you get this scripted yeah. musical moment, but it is, it is flawless. It is so darn cool. And it's such an amazing looking fight. And it's, uh, that game's out of this world. It does not get nearly the credit it deserves for just being so good. But there was a secret. I found every freaking secret <laughs> in that game, except for the one in Orange Ocean. It was like the second level in Orange Ocean. For years, I couldn't find that darn secret level. It's the only one I was missing. That's, but that's where the challenge in that game came from. Because because it's a Kirby game, they're designed, you know, like anyone can, and they're super accessible. Anyone can play it and beat it. They're, they're very not punishing. Mm-hmm. But that was the the challenge in that game where it was like, oh, they find all the secrets because a lot of them were very well hidden. Because I remember there'd be parts in the map. So as you discover stuff like your world map, like side-scrolling area, because so you'd go through doors to go to the actual levels, would have big parts of it blocked off and it would drive me nuts if there was like one door that was yeah. like blocked off. And I'm like, I got to figure out how to get to that. <laughs> and the doors would change colors only if you got everything in them. Yes. Right? They were dark orange, good- but they'd turn... I, I'm just embarrassed to say I didn't realize that for a very long time. <laughs> um, but that, when I did realize, I was like, oh, my God, it was like a, a nice little subtle way to kind of nudge you in the right direction. I, yeah. Oh, the music and the, the graphics in it, it's so cute and, and, oh, and bubbly. So like um, uh, like Orange Ocean – or no, sorry, Butter Building is one of my favorite. Yes. NES game, like tracks, like ever. It's one of – oh, I, I – I, and a big part of that is nostalgia talking too, but I just really adore that no. game. No, I think I think Kirby is one of those games you can go back to. Uh, mm-hmm. I do you think it holds up? Like, you know, there's a lot of conversation sometimes about like what is what holds up and what doesn't, and like how much is nostalgia. But I, I have two kids, and I've introduced them to uh, obviously lots of video games already. Like before they were even old enough to comprehend. Uh, thank you, Chris, for the thumbs up. Uh, really, what video games were, but. Kirby is one of those games and and uh, that just it resonates with kids like it's easy to parse because it's like a pink blob and it's cute and the mechanics are pretty simple like we've played the game like and I say that like Kirby like NES and all the way through to the Switch 
you know, that these games have a simple, you know, really basic, like you said, Sky, uh, you know, designed for kids. And the fact that they have that accessibility and playability makes, I think, the NES Kirby game timeless, you know, in a way that a lot of uh, other NES games that kind of do need to rely on nostalgia because maybe they're a little clunkier uh, or slower or like a little uglier than you remember. But I, I, I think Kirby is expressive enough, like looking at it, and the controls are so refined that you can go back to it and say, like, yeah, it's so great. Yeah. Going out on a limb for Kirby there, I guess. But. No, no, no. You're not going to get any <laughs> argument from me. Uh, in fact, I it made me such a fan of Kirby, I kind of followed him over the years. I don't get every Kirby game because at a certain point, like as an adult, I'm like, I need something a little bit more challenging. But I, I wouldn't when... buy him. I wouldn't buy him if I didn't have kids, to be completely oh, yeah. honest. They are kind of boring if you've like grown up with games, but like... Yeah. If you are just being introduced to games, it is so great that they exist. But I remember when I first started seeing stuff for the first Smash Brothers, I was like, oh my God, Mario, Pikachu, and Kirby. <laughs> I have to get this game now, you know? <laughs> Kirby's. This <laughs> what push you over the edge. No, yeah, it really was. Was that in Pikachu? Because that was when Pokemon was hot. <laughs> that um, was, mine was being able to beat up Pikachu because I was yeah. working at Funko <laughs> Land during the Pokemon card craze. And. <laughs> I just hated Pokemon so much. <laughs> so I was like, wait, I can be Samus and beat up Pikachu? Sold. Um, but uh, so, so uh, Chris, what's another one of your favorite uh, games there? Well, I will bring up uh, this little guy here. This is Snake, Rattle, and Roll. Oh, my gosh. Um, this wow. one got a little bit of a, a – just a tiny bit of a resurgence because it's part of the, uh, the Rare Replay on Xbox One. Mm -hmm. um this is from rare uh with uh and i'll also show this off sorry for anybody listening instead of watching uh, uh you can watch this, on our facebook and our youtube page this is the soundtrack to the game that was released on vinyl um by uh uh fan gamer and it is uh because this game soundtrack is absolutely crazy like this is what the record itself looks like just all like clear that's a phenomenal game that is amazing i have i have some of the mondo castlevania releases oh that nice have a, yeah. a special vinyl coloring and i love the soundtracks and the, the artwork on them that's good that's awesome dude. i got a shovel knight on vinyl for similar reasons very cool <laughs> um, so so snake yeah. rattle and roll is um it's a kind of a 3D-ish platformer. It's uh, done from an isometric view, which is something that Rare was really good with. They did the, uh, the NES port of Marble Madness. They did RC Pro-Am. Uh, so that kind of, uh, the wonderful Cobra Triangle is another phenomenal example of a great, great NES game that's not quite on the uh, on the, the layer of everyone knows this one. It's the super cool boat game. But uh, Snake Rattle and Roll is like this. So you're these snakes and you go around. It's a two-player co-op game. Uh, and you have to eat these little balls called Nibbly Pibblies. And every stage has a different one. So British. Yes. Right? <laughs> every stage is a different kind. So like in this, this great animation of you're the snake, you eat the Nibbly Pibbly and like say it's a pibble jogger. It shoots out of this thing. It sprouts legs and starts running around. So as soon as you eat it, you know, the snake swallows it and you see the thing go down the snake's tail and then he spits out the two legs. It's just, it's Chris, hilarious. This is, this is amazing because I, as an adult to this day, still do not know how to play this game. <laughs> I have tried so many times in the store. Scott's probably seen me do it where they, we get a copy in it. and they put it in. And I'm just like, I'm going to try to figure out stick, rattle and roll. And like five minutes later, I'm like, never mind. I still don't understand what the hell's happening. All you got to do is you have to eat enough nibbly pibblies to gain enough weight. <laughs> 
Once oh, you eat oh, enough pebbles, what we your missing. tail gets longer. And once the last piece of your tail is glowing, then you can jump on the scale at the end, and that opens the door and gets you to the next level. Wow. The soundtrack. That's what is, I'm going to do after this. It, it's I'm gonna so play. cool. Is it it's on the, so cool. the NES service on Switch? No, because it's a rare title, so it's Gosh. it's only on rare okay. replay. I wasn't sure if there are NES games or something they would probably have, they might. I was about to go check because I'm like <laughs> I'm after this I'm gonna I'm gonna play Snake Island. I'm gonna <laughs> it's beat the first good. level. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it gets really hard because it's it's a rare game, so it gets obscenely hard by the end. But I one of the things that really drew me to this game besides the amazing visuals was the soundtrack and. I talk a lot about video game music because I'm I just love game music so much. But this soundtrack is done by David Wise, who you've heard his music. He did the most of the music to the original Donkey Kong Country and its sequels, uh, Wizards and Warriors. Like David oh. Wise's career is insane. Uh, he's got he's written some of the best video game music there is. Period. Um, and this soundtrack in particular really was exciting to me because it's all designed after like fifties rock and roll. And the way that that stuff is translated coming out of an NES is outstanding. So uh, that this soundtrack was released on vinyl at all is amazing because it's such a yeah. weird kind of niche game. But if there's, it's one of the NES soundtracks that truly, truly deserves it because it's so good. My sister nice. and I used to play the heck out of this game and it's amazing. Uh, I definitely recommend trying it is in any way that you can, but just beware. I'm going to play it after this. I'm going to oh, play it. I'm going to go Lord. fire up my emulator. I mean, my totally legal. Uh, <laughs> that I have. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned the, you brought out the vinyl uh, and you were talking about soundtracks that deserve a vinyl release. And I mentioned Castlevania. Like, I think that's another one that just is this perfect embodiment of like the weird, awesome stuff that they were doing with the music on the NES, like this different and specifically the Famicom and a lot of these mm -hmm. because uh, Castlevania is a notable example since uh, Famicom, which was the Japanese equivalent of the Nintendo for those who aren't familiar with that, uh, had an extra sound channel that programmers could use when they're composing their music in the, in the game. So when games programmed for that sound channel, uh, I believe it was a chip in uh, certain cartridges. I don't know if it was on the board itself, but it, the and American versions couldn't do that. So you would lose like a whole channel of sound. And in most games, it didn't really matter because most games didn't use up all of those channels. Most of them used them for like sound effects or, uh, you know, just did not complicated music. But the Castlevania music was so layered mm -hmm. and like amazing. Uh, and on the NES alone. And then if you go back and listen to the Famicom versions, it's even better. Like the music is somehow even cooler and more layered and nuanced and like emotive. It is such a cool series for that reason. And the fact that they were able to squeeze that out of this crazy hardware, uh, you know, from 40 years ago, that's like, I mean, even at the time it wasn't expensive, right? Like the components inside the NES were not, high end even that's back then. that's nintendo's thing it's kind of how they've always been able to really make money on their stuff i have and two yet, questions for you regarding right. this yeah. all right thing number one you talk about difference in sound from famicom disc system to uh nes have you heard the metroid title screen music from the disc system i have yeah <laughs> that's yeah. some killer stuff thing yes. number two what was super interesting is that especially with konami they did some really interesting stuff with the NES bringing that stuff over. 
uh, mm-hmm. particularly like Castlevania 2 was a disc system game. I think it sounds better on NES, uh, which is really wild because when you listen to the two of them, there are, the music is actually more complex than the NES one. That's they, a good they, point. That's a really good point. I'm mostly talking about, I should clarify, I'm mostly talking about Castlevania 3. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Which is, that's the one that gets the massive upgrade when you bounce back to the Famicom version. But you're right, because of that, that is such a unique case. Uh, but go ahead. You know, that's no, I mean, it's, it's, it, you're right. It's a unique case. Um, Castlevania 2, just they, they made the music more complex. They added more to it. And Zelda 2 is another example of that. Um, like the title screen music is way more complex on the Famicom one. But then in the actual game itself, the, the battle music is this really, really simple little melody. And then in the NES version, they upgraded it to a much more nuanced song, much more, more complicated song that you don't get sick of listening to for long periods of time. It's a, and there's, there's a ton of changes between the NES and uh, Disk System version of Zelda 2, where the, the American version of the game is so much more interesting. Um, just if you're you're starting there is all the castles looked exactly the same in the disc system version whereas they had unique tile sets and colors in the nes version wow. so these these kinds of like you've got a switch jump on the famicom channel that you can you can if you have a japanese account for your switch which is free to make you can download the famicom channel and you can play the famicom disc system version of zelda Dude, 2 and well, it will blow your mind that the water on the map right screen is animated so I'm gonna go. scott i'll be right back i got some of the other people I talked to who couldn't make it to this one are also big Famicom guys. It's like, listen, I also love the Famicom. We're definitely going to do an episode on that at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. So we'll, circle back, we'll circle back around uh, on... I mean, it's related. Uh, Famicom is great. Um, but we'll circle back around on that. Sean, what's another one of your favorite games? Well, I mean, I feel like I, I, I mostly got, got into it just now with talking about Castlevania. Yeah. But, you know... Just to explain what Castlevania is a little bit for anyone who's not aware of the series, uh, it's a side-scrolling platformer action game uh, where you are uh, Simon Belmont, a vampire hunter, uh, and you are going to kill Dracula in his castle. Castlevania, I think. Yeah. It's the name of the castle. But yeah, do- it's a castle so it's in all- Transylvania. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's so it's it's basically the whole premise though is that it's like uh, Universal movie monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you whip at them, you know, so, or like uh, mythological beasts. Uh, there's zombies and wolfmen and medusas and uh, Frankenstein's monster and death and you know all of these these horror movie uh, figures and some like I said mythological things that you fight. Uh, all to this like really kicking soundtrack that is just yeah. like like putting oh it's so good. Castlevania <laughs> missed out on me bringing it up by a hair. I love the NES Castlevania games, and and the first game, the first game is kind of cool because uh, it has it's like um, Mega Man that you mentioned, Chris, and then nobody having it for rent. Castlevania mm-hmm. was a similar uh, situation because it was part of that chip shortage era where mm-hmm. like the games just couldn't be produced fast enough to meet demand. Uh, I don't remember the details around it, but like basically there was a supply chain sh- shortage somewhere along there. Uh, and games couldn't be brought over uh, at the rate we needed. So certain games would just be impossible to find. Mega Man was one of them. Castlevania was one of them. But I had, like I said, I had a bunch of friends, now that I'm thinking about this, that had uh, NESs that I would go over just to play. Like, in my neighborhood alone, I can count three off the top of my head. Uh, But, like, a couple of them had Castlevania, and that would be the game that I would go to. It was either that or Zelda. 
uh, if I got a chance to play it. Um, yeah, and I, I think I said enough about it, but yeah, Castlevania would be the other one. Yeah, no, Castlevania is a great game. We'll probably talk a little bit more about it uh, soon because, spoiler alert, it's October in a couple of weeks. Uh, oh, and God. I have tons of horror related things planned that we can talk about. <laughs> so, uh, but Castlevania is great. Um, that one's on the Switch, right? I know at least Super Castlevania 4 is. I actually don't think. Oh, no, you know what? I'm thinking the Konami collection I played on there because I bought that. Yeah. I think so. Castlevania is one of those unfortunate series because it happens to be owned by Konami, who has decided that they don't like video games anymore and they're not going to really worry about making sure you can play their video games. But uh, it's it's hard to get sometimes, you know, but also on every single platform ever. Yeah. Uh, If you want to play it, there's a way to play it. I will say, you're probably yeah, gonna have to pay money for it. Konami's been putting out those like legacy or anniversary collections. If you're what they are, where they one's like the arcade shooters, one's like all the Contra games, and then one is a, a bunch of the Castlevania ones, which has all the classic ones on it. Um, the phenomenal collection. They're of, really. That's what I mean. If you want to play, you're gonna have to pay for it. Like, yeah, that's, that's it's fine. not one of those games that shows up in, uh, you know, like Nintendo yeah. Channel. Or, yeah, well, but it's well, also you're. It's like twenty bucks for Castlevania one, two, three, Super uh, Castlevania four, Super Castlevania four, games, the two uh, two Game Boy games, all their Japanese counterparts. The like, you can ask which version Kid, of Kid Dracula. Is yeah, in Kid Dracula's on there. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's outstanding. That's it's a, a, that's a, that great is a good value. And it the comes, right. one's really good and it too. comes with digital art and history books for each for each. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I must yeah, have really said. really nice collections. I really hope they make another one because there's so many more Castlevanias. There's because they're missing like Symphony of Night, Rondo of Blood, like all of that the later stuff. They're, they're, yeah, we, it's really just their. We need early to hang out and talk more often. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why we that's why I do the podcast. Um, uh, but like uh, you know, we covered a lot, a big, a pretty wide variety of games right now too. But um, you know, let's talk a little bit about me. I don't want to say uh, undiscovered gems because the NES mines have been mined so hard that everything's <laughs> been discovered now on the internet. But these games are maybe a little bit underappreciated and not talked about as much. Um, we mentioned earlier, sometimes you go to a video store and you don't know what game you're going to get until you rent it. Um, it was one of those situations, you know how like Blockbuster, that they didn't have the case anymore, it would just have a generic thing. <laughs> and I rented yep. a game called Gargoyles Quest 2 for NES. Oh. And as a kid... I thought it was Gargoyles like the TV show. Oh. <laughs> I took that home and the game blew me away. It is so much fun. So I found out years later that it's a spin. It's a sequel to a Game Boy game I never heard of, which is a spinoff to Ghosts and Goblins, which I didn't play as a kid, um, which obviously is, is a major. I mean, I don't want to say major, but is a, a, was a big, bigger franchise for Capcom. But so it's like a side scrolling game and you have to get like different power-ups will like let you either fly a little bit farther or you can like have new kinds of platforms or like projectile breath weapons to attack with like the big thing of the game is like it's very vertical so because your character is a, a demon that can kind of like stick to walls and you have to you'll have limited wings wing powers so you have to kind of time out your your jumps and your flight and then there's an rpg system it's like as you do more things like you can level up all your different stats so like now i can fly a little bit farther i can go back and get across this gap easier stuff like that it's a really complex and great i enjoy it a lot and it's one of those things i don't hear anyone ever really talk about yeah that's a good one man. well it had an incredibly limited release here in the united yeah. states is probably why you don't really hear people talking about it much 
Uh, it's it's fairly easily overlooked. Um, yeah, the original Gargoyles Quest has been re-released a couple of times uh, on the 3DS Virtual Console, for example. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a Game Boy game. It did you know pretty well here in the states. And then, uh, like you said, Demon's Crest is on the Switch right now. It was also on the Wii U Virtual Console, which yeah. is the third Gargoyles Quest game. Um, which is a great yeah, game this... and is super rare, so it's really nice that it's widely available now. But Gargoyles yeah, think... Quest Two is also super rare. That's yeah. one of the more expensive yeah. NES games, and it's it's one there's the... no good way to play it right now yeah, uh, outside of, of my collection back ammunition. there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to remember that you know we have uh, grown up, uh, you know, absolutely obsessed with Nintendo games for decades now. Uh, and then we have like I love that we have like tiers of like oh that's an obvious game and like oh that's a deep cut game and like but like most people they don't really know beyond that like the the big big titles like the Mario uh, like even Kirby's kind of considered like second tier really as far as like the average person playing having played it on the NES right mm-hmm. you know like it's so funny because uh, you know I'll reference stuff to people who you know, aren't necessarily as nerdy as, as we might be. Uh, and, and they're like, I don't know that game. And I'm like, oh, yeah, everybody played that game. Like, it's, it's <laughs> well, uh, well, then, Sean, we, we, we have the opposite where I, I know with us specifically, it's Paperboy. Like, people are always beating on our door. Yeah. Paperboy, <laughs> and we're like, people like this game this much? Not to, not to say it's a bad yeah, game. I know. But I it's just, like I brought this up before. But, like, but it's just one of those surprising pers- things. It's like, oh, I didn't realize that this is considered like, Right, like a must-have classic for a lot of people. that game was a massive success on the NES, which is so weird because it's not the best port. Right. No. I, I mean, I, and I, I remember loving it when I was a kid, but then I played the arcade version, was like, oh, the yeah. handlebars, and now <laughs> I have a hard time going back to the NES one. But it's one of those games. Every time someone's like, "Oh, do you have Nintendo games? I want to buy a Nintendo." They yeah. mention Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, Paperboy. Right. Sometimes so like, those, uh, yeah, you know, like these are the games that people are super familiar with, you know, and like, there's the stuff that like the people who like hang out and talk about video games are like, oh yeah, 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 those are common folk games, you know. But uh, I just, I just think it's funny when you're like, uh, you know, uh, Demon's Crest, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's such a good it's a good choice. It's just like a super deep cut. That's a phenomenal yeah. choice. Well, it's, it's it's become one of my one of my favorite games. I after I was done renting it, I never heard about it ever again. And then the rental store, because that was like after Super Nintendo had been a thing. I think they got rid of all their NES games, so it's like I never got to play it again until much much later. Um, and I was like, oh, they kind of rediscovered. It. I was like, oh yeah, I vaguely remember this. And then I went through it and and beat it. And it's a it's a good challenging game. It's not super punishing. But it's also like one of those games you like. You kind of need to like master its controls to, to get through. Um, mm-hmm. But just it's just one of those games. Like yeah, I never even amongst our circles, I don't really hear people talk about it. Yeah, uh, um, it's worth it's worth a look, man. I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm familiar with the SNES game uh, just because of the rarity and the finally being released on the SNES channel. Uh, but I didn't really spend any time with the the one on the NES. So I kind of want to. I'm curious of it. Hearing you talk about it makes me want to go back and try it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've played almost none of it because, uh, again, it's just not readily available anywhere. Uh, but I've played a lot of the original Game Boy one, and it's it's wonderful. And I keep hoping that one of these days the uh, Gargoyles Quest Two is going to turn up on Nintendo Switch Online. Cause... So I'm not I'm not saying this because they're both Capcom games, but like to go back to our Mega Man collection, Gargoyles Quest on Game Boy is Mega Man One versus Mega Man Two of mm-hmm. Gargoyles Quest Two, where it's the same basic gameplay, but it's like so much more refined. And I, 
it's a little bit of a bad example because one's on a much <laughs> less powerful system uh, and like with a much like limit more limited screen space um you know what it's more like kirby it's more, yeah, like, I guess kirby's, it's more like kirby's, kirby's dreamland to kirby's adventure it's a well, it doesn't have it. The power-up thing, I think, is a little bit more of a radical yeah, I guess that's a good to the, point, yeah. the, the formula for Kirby. Um, but yeah, it, it's you get the idea, though, uh, uh, with that. So, Sean, what's one of your uh, more obscure games you'd like to bring, let people know about? Oh, my gosh. You know, um, <clears throat> did we talk about Zombie Nation not yet, uh, no. on the podcast? <laughs> no, like on a previous oh, one? Oh, we might have mentioned that? it in another one. Because I that's a pretty awesome obscure weirdo game, yeah. uh, but no, I, I guess like um, it's not super obscure, but like Contra on the NES is a game that like I think still holds up and people should go back to uh, oh, and keep playing forever. Uh, <laughs> I love that game. I think it's amazing that it's been so hard to replicate that formula. Like it, every time somebody tries to make a new Contra. They can't quite nail it. Like it happened with Contra Four, uh, unless you, you know, I couldn't get it past the split on the DS. Like, oh, I, was, I loved Contra Four so much. It was good, but that split, man, I was so bad. Uh, my brain just <laughs> couldn't track bullets from one screen to the next. I, I was like, yeah, I can't play this game very long. I own it, but I'm I will so say bad there's other it. good games in the Contra series, but they don't really play like classic Contra. Because like hard. Wait. Yeah, I don't we just played Contra Force for NES for uh, our Stone Age Gamer podcast, our summer series. Yeah, that I remember that. Awful. Yeah, yeah that is. We were, awful. Stream, we were streaming that in store when you were doing it. <laughs> and kind, kind of laughing at you. Um, this game's putrid. Well, yeah, because no, even they just did a new Contra game and it was just bad. Oh, my God. It was Very so. Uh, Your guns overheat. Yeah, and like Contra is a shooting game for people who don't know. It is a game that where typically on the NES, if you as soon as you get the upgrade to make your gun shoot faster, you just hold down the fire button. Yeah. It's like and it's, it's kind of game <laughs> ugly. It had a terrible sense of humor. The game was no. Yeah. But the one on the NES is the the first one, and I know it was an arcade game. I think first, and then brought over to the NES. Yeah. But it is uh, so eighties, so like weird you know machismo the cover is basically just so i think it is <laughs> sylvester stallone and arnold schwarzenegger uh yes that they took the artist painted over them they use them as a reference and, and the xenomorph from aliens right i was gonna say yeah. and then the, the aliens that you fight straight up face huggers and xenomorph but it is it's guns and explosions and another rock and soundtrack uh and mm. a cheat code uh that makes you you know gives you 30 lives the Konami code which is absolutely legendary and we, we talked about was the, on top of their game back of then Contra, yeah they really were they were doing so many cool things back then uh and so like again not super obscure but i don't think they ever did contra as well as the first contra again, i think that's i think opinion. that's fair uh, i don't i can't even think of other like shooting games that are like as fluid and I as will tight controls. I will say that uh, I think uh, Super C was a really worthy follow-up to Contra. I do uh, think it's Super a very C- good game. I, I still would prefer the original NES Contra to Super C, but my favorite's Contra Through the Alien Wars. Again, a phenomenal I'm, I'm game. such a Super Nintendo guy. I That leap from 8 to 16-bit is my favorite period in all of gaming. 
And yeah. I just think Contra Through the Alien Wars nails so much. I just get <laughs> so much right. It's I think it's a phenomenal game too. I just for me, like there is a there's I think there is a simplicity to the visuals in Contra that mm. made it uh like it's super challenging but easy enough to like pick out where the bullets are and avoid them whereas like in super c i or not super c i'm sorry uh contra 3 alien wars i would lose the the projectiles a lot in the background uh and get like wrecked in that game so again it's just because i sucked at it i didn't love it as much and it's my bias but i do think that uh it's an amazing game Uh, also uh the the operation c for game boy um that was a really i've never played that one it's a solid Contra game. Also, the first Contra game with the homing uh, missile in it. That's where that came from. Operation C is a really solid Contra game. That's and crazy. it's available on the Contra collection on the Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. This is what I get for, for crafting on Konami uh, without like you know making sure they haven't released any awesome collections. I mean, By they, the way, they're I'm awful this, now. They're they are. But in the, I'm on the Steam page right now for the Castlevania collection, and I'm like about to pull the trigger and make sure. It's, really, it's a really good collection. Worth um, every the penny. Contra one is arguably better if you're a Contra fan because there's yeah. omit there's things missing in the Castlevania one. There's like nothing missing in the Contra one. Nothing of value. Oh yeah, like, nothing. Of Contra value. Force for NES is not on there. Like I hated Contra <laughs> Hardcore, but Contra Force on NES. We just did that on the show the other the other week. Like I think you were thinking about when we're doing the pain in the ass thumb. Oh, that is Contra Hardcore. Yeah. I'm talking about the third NES Contra Contra Force, which is constant slowdown plays nothing like a contra it's just the hottest of garbage yeah. <laughs> well speaking of the hottest garbage chris what's one of your uh, underappreciated things you wanted to bring up oh boy uh how many more of these do i get well you already got snake your out on raw i'll let you have that one um okay because <laughs> i, I, I have the rule book real quick yeah I, I just i don't know how long we're going and i have like i that's, have two more that i really want to hit that's up to you guys uh let's just hit one and see all right i'll, I'll hit the one that i have sitting next to me right now and that would be this gentleman right here uh this is the first game in the hebereki series which if you're in america you've probably never heard of because none of the games have ever been released here but i've barely that heard game, of euphoria yeah <laughs> so that game no showed up on the Wii, yeah. that showed up on the Wii Virtual Console for the first time in America. I had never heard of it before, but I watched the trailer. I heard about a couple of seconds of the music, also by Naoki Kodaka, same guy who did uh, Blaster Master, and I saw that it was by Sunsoft. I said, "Well, that's enough for me. I love Sunsoft NES games. They did so much great stuff on NES, like like that and Journey to Celius, and uh, and I, so I I." I bought it immediately for the virtual console. Now on the Wii virtual console, it was completely screwed up because it was the European, uh, it was the PAL game. Oh, that sucks. They were running through an American oh. emulator. So it played no. fine, but the music was all off key. <laughs> so, and I didn't really, I didn't know the difference. I knew that it was wrong because they played the actual version of the song in the trailer for the game. And it just sounds so wrong when you're playing it on the Wii Virtual Console. But the game was so good, I just stuck with it. Uh, and then they released it again on the Wii U Virtual Console, still with messed up audio. So I got this, uh, which is a reproduction cartridge of the game with the audio fixed for play in an NES. That's uh, awesome. And it's... So this is another um, Sunsoft kind of sort of a Metroidvania style game. 
now where it's a big interconnected uh, world and you have to travel from point A to point B and, and get different power-ups, but the power-ups are kind of like different characters. You get these different characters you can switch back and forth between that have different attributes that let you get to different areas in the game. What makes this game so incredibly special is that it is bonkers. The, um, you walk around as this little snowman-looking dude, and then the, there seems to be this white rope coming down. And so you grab one, and you climb up top, and then you get to the top of the rope, and it's actually a string of drool coming out of this rectangle with a face where his eyes are, like, super far apart. And then you oh. notice that so many things in this game have this really, like, demented incredibly stupid smile on their face with just like drool and weird stuff happening all over the place. It is intensely bizarre. And <laughs> I also didn't realize that the first time I played the game for a long time that you have to, um, you can actually jump on the bad guys to beat them. I didn't realize that the first time I played oh it God. because you have to hold down on the D pad while you do it. Otherwise you just get hit. And, uh, once you get the hang of this game, it's really freaking good. Uh, it's incredibly bizarre, but it's got a really good soundtrack. It's a very, very late oh, NES game, so it looks oh great. Like it's, The colors are great. The animation is great. Uh, if you have an original Wii, you can't download it anyway. Never mind, because the virtual console is closed. Uh, you yep. can download <laughs> it on Wii U, even though NES emulation is garbage on Wii U, and it still sounds bad. But if you can find a good way to play this game, heartily recommend it. It's Let's a say, bizarre one, but it's good. Oh, we man. had it at the store recently. We might still have it available for purchase. It's on No. The, yeah, I was actually I recognized it as soon as you brought it up because I remember being like cuz that was the first time I had seen it when we got it traded in. I was like, "What is this thing?" Wow, you had a trade. It must have been was it a repro cart for America or was it a PAL cartridge? I don't it must have been a PAL cart. But huh. I remember, but I remember being like I didn't even looking at the titles like how do you even say this cuz it's like really funky and 90s looking it's the, the letter u then the yeah. word four because yeah. there's four characters to choose from in the game euphoria the saga what yeah a weird, what a weird name i'm looking at pictures of it right now chris and there is this little like it's a little ball uh face and the eyes like you said are wide set apart and it's got the <laughs> smile that goes all the way across its face and it has this little <laughs> little line under the smile to give it like a little lip and i love it I love it so much. <laughs> I want to play this game. Can't recommend it enough. If you have, I mean, there's not much of a legal way to play it right now. Um, I, not that I like super support emulation or anything, but if you have something like an EverDrive or some sort of other nefarious means to play this game, get your hands <laughs> on it. It's a really good one. So oh, this is so. Cool. So Chris, you mentioned you had a second game on deck. What was that? That would be Mr. Gimmick. Okay. Um, that's another one that uh, I don't think it ever got released in America until a PlayStation 2 collection that was just terrible. Uh, this is another <laughs> great, uh, a great example of a game that had um, a really cool soundtrack uh, in the Japanese version as opposed to the PAL version, right? The, the Japanese version had this extra chip in it that made the music just incredible. This is another Suns late Sunsoft game uh, with really, really good graphics. You're this toy doll thing that looks kind of like a, a little adorable green demon dude uh, and you can summon stars and throw those stars around and um, the stars kind of like bounce all over the place and you can then use those stars as platforms or as weapons <laughs> it's a pretty challenging game um, 
it's one of the best looking NES games. It's got a lot of really, really impressive backgrounds and, and bright colors and great, great animations. It's a pretty tough one. It's also a, a hard one to get, it, get your hands on. It hasn't had a solid re-release. Like I said, there was like a PS2 collection that had this on it, like a Sunsoft Classics collection, and they just butchered it. It's, it's nigh unplayable. But, so um, unfortunate. This is a this is one of those games that even like I think the PAL cartridge or the 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 Famicom cart also go for a bunch of money because it's it's got a pretty decent cult following, and rightfully so because it is once I my friend Sal turned me on to it. Uh, he has a whole YouTube channel called Sal Cade. He's a really really cool guy. I used to work with him back at Game Crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my god, I love that you keep dropping these like old <laughs> defunct video game retailers like Funko <laughs> Land and Game Crazy. I love oh, it's so <laughs> So he turned me on to this game because I, I I was talking about um, Euphoria and how much I liked that game. And he's like, well, have you tried Mr. Gimmick? And I was like, well, I've heard of it, but I've never tried it. And so he sent me the the ROM that has it. Um, corrected so you can hear the original Japanese audio playing through uh, you know, and, and a US emulator or whatever and I finally played through the game and I was just simply blown away by it. It's, it is incredible and it's heartbreaking that they haven't put this on it was never on a Wii Virtual Console or hasn't shown up on Switch and I'm just begging for it to happen because it's such a great candidate for it. It's, it's one of those games that's like very well worthy of its reputation uh because any just about anybody who knows about it is like oh no that game is great that is one of the best nes games and it really is it's it's such a a wonderful and amazing game it's it's pretty linear it just goes stage to stage but in each stage uh, i think in order to get to the actual ending of the game you have to get these secret hidden items uh, so you have to like find this little secret hidden path to get this one secret item. I think like the first level, it's a big plant or something, and you get all those things, and um, that's how you get to the real ending of the game. Like you're a toy that's come to life for some reason. Story's nonsense, but the game <laughs> is out freaking standing and such wow. a good soundtrack. Really, 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 wow, really man, good music. So excited to play these games. So now. catchy. Big thumbs up I, for me. Man, you know it's funny because I. Like I feel like over the years I kind of got jaded. Like like I had, there was nothing new in, under the sun for me in the video game world. You know I'd seen it all, but but I've really had it. And I loved whenever something would show up in the store that I'd never heard of before, or like I'd be talking to you or someone like you that would drop something on me where I'd like, how did I miss this title? Uh, you know, it never fails to surprise me that there's still stuff to discover for me, someone who has spent so long talking about and playing and like living and, and making a living from video games. Mm-hmm. There's still stuff out there to discover. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's, well, like I'm, I'm happy to be of service in that regard. <laughs> and, like I said, and like I said, it's especially amazing with the NES because like, since like the beginning, I would say for the last 20 years or so, once the internet's like speeds were caught, kind of caught up with what people, people want to share uh, online video gaming stuff. Like, people just talk about NES games like because you know people of a certain age like us were old enough to kind of be taking the reins on that but even just thinking like early YouTube like any video game there and those guys like there's so much people pouring over the NES library for things that it's amazing that there's still stuff that uh, can surprise mm-hmm. us yeah it was but, Japanese and Scandinavian that's it it wasn't Europe it was released uh, it was released in Scandinavia that that's is... really weird it's so weird. And I remember always hearing about this game. I feel like I heard about it in like an EGM a long time ago uh, where it was, they were just covering import stuff. 
uh, way at the end of the NES's life cycle because this was 1992 in Japan. So, you know, Super Nintendo and Super Famicom were out and then it didn't get released in Scandinavia till uh, 93. And um, so it's one of those really late, late NES games like Euphoria, like Little Samson that have this really cool look to them that's like, they really refined what they were capable of doing with the NES by this point. And it's such a shame that more people haven't played it because it's really, really worth tracking down. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to bring up little Samson cause that's a little bit too hard to find. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I know one of the obscure games, we talked a little bit ahead of time about, I didn't know which one I was going to pick and I've decided what I'm going to pick and it's none of the ones we talked about. Um, <laughs> I'm going to bring up a little game called guardian legend. Yes, Guardian uh, Legend. I've had a chance to be looking at my NES collection uh, during the, the course of this discussion. I'm like, you know what? That's a really great game, and it's not as hard to find as the other stuff I was going to bring up. Um, but it's, it's a great hybrid game because I think it starts with like your Galaga-type uh, shooter, mm-hmm. right? Starts with a scrolling shooter. Yeah, it starts with a scrolling shooter, and then you're, you're playing morphs into this girl, and then you become like a Zelda-type over, over the, the top game. Uh, like your isometric perspective, like adventure game, and you're fighting, like you're in a like a Death Star or something, and uh, you're fight, you're just kind of fighting your way through it. And then isn't there a third game type in it? It's been a minute since I played it. I don't know about a third game type. I, I've never I actually know... finished it, but I think it's just <laughs> the two. But yeah, but I know it bounces back and forth between those two at least, and it keeps it mixed up. And there's so there's like light exploration. Um, I don't want to call it Metroidvania style, but it is a little non-linear. It's more like the first Zelda where it just kind of drops you off in like a little bit of a map and there's different screens you can move through. Um, and then it goes to like, uh, like a bullet hell, like shooter for parts of it. Um, but it's really unique for the system because usually games are one versus the other for those styles. Like there's only a handful of games I think that mix up the genres and one of them is Bayou Billy and that game stinks. Uh, the, uh, I'm so glad you, you mentioned Bayou Billy, yeah. but before I say something about that, uh, I, have we defined Metroidvania? Because I feel like that's a term that might not be as universal as it is within our circle. Fair enough. Uh, we, we have mentioned it a lot, and we have mentioned Metroid in yeah. Castlevania. <laughs> Without making the connection. So I think like the... the it's an exploratory platformer, where right, the focus a, of the game is, is more... There is no, this is the beginning of the level, this is the end. It's you. There's a giant world, and you explore mm-hmm. that world. Yeah, usually uh, interlinked and... Uh, with gatekeeping that includes like finding an item to unlock the new area mm-hmm. you yes. know that might be a power up that you get to keep with you and it's also useful throughout the rest of the game so uh, yeah it requires it requires like backtracking and like being able to remember like oh i can't reach this yet right you just keep it in the back of your mind and i will say like i think all metroid like regular metroid game mainline metroid games not count like metroid prime pinball and stuff uh kind of stick to that formula but the castlevania games don't always do that in fact no. at this point in nes they were not they were very linear yeah they, which is they... wild um particularly because like it really does go back to the beginnings of the franchise because uh we know the nes castlevania which is a stage by stage arcade style action platforming game but the MSX version of Castlevania vampire killer, which came out like a month or two later, it was being developed at the same time is more exploratory. It doesn't do the stages like that. You have to run a fly, you know, travel around a stage, find keys to open doors and all that business. And then Simon's quest is just straight up that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a big open world with, with backtracking and stuff. So even though it wasn't 
like in America, it's not out of the gate, a game like that, because then, you know, Castlevania three, Dracula's curse, both of the game boy games, um, super Castlevania four Castlevania Chronicles on Genesis. Like that mm-hmm. series didn't actually really do that until symphony of the night, but it dabbled with it all the way back to its origins on the MSX. Yeah. And then, you know, Simon's quest. But I, yeah, but I would say symphony of the night is when, Castlevania became a Metroidvania game. Exactly. That's really when it when it got Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And it, uh, also, just just because I know this little bit of factoid, uh, I believe the the term was coined by Jeremy Parrish, uh, who's yep. a games journalist uh, who kind of like you know loves this genre and wanted a way to talk about it and just like mash the two together and it stuck. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm glad we talked about it because we I noticed we had said it a few times. I'm like that is. And, and you know what? I yeah. think we brought it up a lot in our Super Nintendo discussion as well, because I know Probably. We, we talked about Super Metroid in that. Uh, I can't remember if we talked about Castlevania 4, but we definitely talked about Super Metroid. We did talk about Cas- Castlevania 4. Yeah. Uh, but I'm yeah, still no. so bummed that I wasn't there for that. I wanted to talk about oh. that. Oh, yeah. I guess I we'll, wanted to be on that episode so bad. Full disclosure. You were missed. We tried to get Chris in on that because he literally helped write the book on Super Nintendo games. Yeah. <laughs> I also literally helped write the book on NES games. There's an NES. Brett Weiss, the same author, mm-hmm. has uh, two NES volumes coming out just like Super NES. Okay. And, uh, I, I didn't realize I was, they were on their way. They are indeed. Probably... They're, they're on their way, and I was involved in, in those as well. Well, we'll definitely we should probably care. started with that, right? Like, uh, hey, we've got the guy who wrote the book on Nintendo. Well, I didn't actually write the book. I, I, I there. So the guy who helped write the book yeah. on Nintendo <laughs> contributed to it. That's I did. Yeah, Brett. Brett puts the whole thing together, way. and then he got a bunch of people from all over to that are involved in writing about games and stuff to tell stories about them. And well, so he listed every single game, and then he gets these personalized stories from all these people that have been involved in some way, shape, or form to tell them about this is what you did uh, with, with the, the this is how you experienced those games when you were young. Uh, they're, they're really fascinating books. The Super NES Omnibus, available now at Level Up Entertainment. I yeah, so I, I think we still have volume two, at least at the moment. <laughs> I keep it up at the front register uh, right now. But um, I mean, you know, hey, let us know and we'll pre-order you those new books. Um, yeah, the NES Omnibus uh, volumes one and two are, are definitely coming out. Can, they're a thing. Can you give us a little bit of a, a little taste? Uh, what's one of the games you contributed for in it? You know what? It's been a long time since I actually did it. I don't remember. Right. I think I, I know I wrote something about Jaws um, mm. where I, because uh, he wanted to, he likes these, these personal anecdotes about it. So uh, I wrote the story about how my sister and I used to rent Jaws for NES and um, she was always better at the game than I was. And the thing with Jaws is that like shells, like conch shells and whatnot are the, 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 currency in the game and so you collect enough shells and you go and get like the jaws tracker or you power up your boat or whatever so we i had a conch shell that somebody brought me back from a beach once and so we were she would be in the bedroom uh playing jaws and then i would be like in the the hall like across the hallway in the bathroom (laughs) like washing the conch shell that she would like give to me and be like all right well this one's worth like this much and then this one's worth this like we would pretend we were having that exchange back and forth just like in the jaws game and it's awesome it was wonderful that's great (laughs) all right so we have the uh if it's anything like the super nintendo book uh no stone is left unturned i think you guys talk about every super nintendo game that was released in north america And um, the same thing with the NES one, yeah. every wow. single one. So That's yeah, there's awesome. so there's literally something for everyone in that. 
because I'm sure you're not unique in being the only person that, let's say, likes Jaws, which is usually like considered kind of low tier, a uh, low tier NES game. But just like you know, just how every comic book is somebody's first, every video game mm-hmm. is somebody's favorite. Um, and even though you know we we're mostly talking about like our personal like picks, but like we're not even like no one's even mentioned Punch Out yet. I had written Punch Out at, yeah. to talk about, but uh, you could seriously you could do a. Uh, a whole series on just talking about NES games. Oh yeah, title we, we could be here literally all yeah. night. Um, There's just not enough time to mention every single amazing title. Well, if you want to talk, if you want a series about NES games, you mentioned Jeremy <laughs> Parrish earlier. Mm-hmm. He has this YouTube series called NES Works. He also has oh, Game yeah. Boy Works and it's whatnot. But if you've never seen, if you've never seen Jeremy Parrish's work, it is absolutely incredible. Uh, He's actually- I actually had a. I had a really cool experience with him recently where, um, so I do marketing for stone age gamer and, um, we, uh, we do, um, like flashcards and whatnot, which are these cartridges that you can load the ROMs onto SD cards, put them into the flashcards, then play them without the use of emulation, which is really nice. So if you want the authentic experience, it basically just tells the system, this is what's in there. So he, uh, Jeremy started doing, um, uh, Game Boy Works Gaiden, where he's talking about the other platforms yeah. that were on the market at the same time, and we uh, supplied him with a, an EverDrive Game Gear oh. X7. Uh, so the first volume of the Game Gear Works or uh, uh, Game Boy Works Gaiden with the launch titles for Game Gear uh, that just came out on YouTube, and, and yeah, I'm so the I one just, who I just watched it. I, they no, mentioned I, he mentioned Stone Age Gamer, and I'm the one who hooked him up with that. Yeah, I remember, he said, I'm so Age, proud of that. I remember he said Stone Age Gamer, and I was like, oh, I know someone that's from that. And then I didn't even think to be like, oh, was that you? Yeah, yeah. I, I had a whole email correspondence with him. In fact, I have, uh, back when I worked at Funko Land, they had, when they stopped carrying stuff like Game Boy boxes and whatnot, I scooped up as much of that stuff as I could, and I've been holding on to it for years and years and years. And I know a bunch of it's worth a decent amount of money, but I also, I follow Jeremy on um, uh, Twitter, and he was mm-hmm. talking about how hard it is to get uh, boxes and stuff. So I just wrote him like, I got a ton of these boxes. Do you want me to just send you stuff? And he was like, yeah, you can send me a couple. That would be great. That would be amazing. And so he sent me this spreadsheet of all the stuff that he's looking for. And I sent him a box of like 50 <laughs> oh, <laughs> Game man, Boy boxes. Awesome. And he responded as like, I thought you were going to send me like maybe like three or four. This is insane. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dude, use them. All right. They, they're going to get, I would much rather see them used in your historical works series than sitting in my closet gathering dust. Right. That is I would awesome. so much rather see that happen. So well, let's gush about his historical work series real fast. Have you watched it, Sean? No, I haven't actually. Uh, but Jeremy Parrish was, uh, a contributor to, I want to say, uh, rpgamer.com back in the day, uh, which is how I first came across him. Uh, and I remember, like, he's the reason that I got into Evangelion because he used to have this like, uh, thumbnail theater where he would, like, summarize the episodes of the Eva in, like, kind of a tongue-in-cheek, like, sarcastic way. Uh, but I didn't realize he had he had gone on to done that because it's been a few years since I've been following him. Uh, I used to listen to Retronauts pretty regularly. Mm. Um, but now that I'm like, I'm hearing about this, I'm like, well, I have homework. I have like well, stuff. Say, it's it's good time to watch you now because there is, he's like, got a ton of stuff in it on his channel now. They're very well. I, I love them. They're very well in depth. They're very well. The production value on them is very good. Um, I have the first NES volume. So it's like the launch games uh, in book form. 
Um, the, the books are very in depth. There's lots of great photos in the book. He goes so into detail with how the light gun works mm. and like why it, why it only works on the TVs it works on and not, you know, newer ones. I was like, Oh, okay. And I've been able to pass that information along to customers. Um, you know, talking about refresh rates and stuff, but like it, it's a really great series and I highly recommend it. It's uh, awesome. If any of this has sounded remotely interesting to anybody, uh, uh, watch it. Um, he does, he's, he's done some N64 ones. It's not just, it's not just been NES. Mm -hmm. He's been doing like, you know, Game Boy ones current currently. I kind of like the first, a uh, yeah. couple of Gaiden episodes on the Atari Lynx. Yeah, so he did Atari Lynx. So <laughs> interesting. <laughs> he has been, yeah, he, the dude is prolific. Uh, and it's awesome to see how much he's done now. Like while we're talking, I'm pulling stuff up. Like, well, I, yeah, I've got some stuff to catch up on. But, um, uh, but no, awesome. I, that's, that's, that's cool. Uh, it's one of those, it's it. one of those things. Like I, it, he, it really nails that NES aesthetic. And I just, something about it. I just like, and it might just be because I had it as a kid, but <laughs> Um, it, it's it's one of those things I'm a, I that just attracted me to like it's my favorite system to collect for, for retro gaming. My collection's nowhere near complete, but like my per, like personally, all the things I'm really looking for, I have now. Um, that's one of the fringe benefits of working at the store that we do. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I it's one of my favorite consoles to collect for, and uh, I love talking about it. We will definitely talk NES games again. Um, I'm sure we will talk about these things privately again too. Um, but unless uh, you guys got any final thoughts <laughs> on the NES, I just that I, I love it. Uh, it's one of the best systems ever. Uh, I, I don't know, man. It's 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 wonderful. It's it's a it's a classic for a reason. It's God. You mentioned Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Like there, there is just a bottomless well of games on this platform that I still love to regularly play. My wife and I just played Doctor Mario yesterday. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice versus Dr. Mario on the on the Switch. Although the best Dr. Mario is on N64, but I digress. <laughs> there's there's so much good, so much fun to be had on that platform, and there's so much still left to mine. Mm -hmm. Like even even stuff that's not actually like discovered, but undiscovered, just widely discovered. Like I mentioned, yeah. those two games. Yeah. I thought you guys would know those both those games. Like oh yeah, those games. I love the uh, Mr. Gimmick. Yeah, I know about that one. Like. I, I I had heard of Mr. Gimmick. I've heard of I Mr. Never Gimmick. Played I've never Mr. Gimmick. Played Mr. Gimmick. Yeah. Euphoria is brand new territory. <laughs> no, so. I, I, I knew of Euphoria, but that's because I worked at the store and we got mm. one in. I had to learn about it. Um, I will say, like, yeah, there are some great games that people didn't get a chance. Like, we got Little Samson in a couple years ago, and that's such a rare game that we're like, all right, this day at work, because it was like the next day I was off, I was like, we're going to just beat this game so we can say that we've played it. Um, like I think it was me and uh, and Becca's husband Brian. Uh, we just played yeah. it on the t TV there because uh, that's like a twelve hundred dollar game, so we were never going to be able to play it again. Um, <laughs> but like that's that's another one. It's just like it's it's one of those ones. that's just you know because it came out so late, they just fell to the dustbin of history, uh, as it were. Um, that's a good. It's a good game. It's a really yeah. solid platform. I really enjoyed it. Um, Sean, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, just, you know, I, I feel like we would be remiss uh, having an entire episode about the NES without talking about, like, the experience of actually trying to get an NES to work. Oh, true. Uh, which <laughs> is is integral uh, to anyone who has ever tried to actually play a Nintendo game uh, growing up when they were actually systems that you could buy. 
for those who who are younger, maybe, and uh, or haven't shopped in the store, or maybe, uh, you know, you know, never purchased an NES and seen it there, uh, they don't always work. Uh, even when they were brand new, uh, the mechanisms, at least in the uh, American consoles, kind of uh, you would front. It's a box to describe it. It's a box. Uh, it opens. You slide the cartridge in. Uh, this is a cartridge. We flashed a couple of them. Uh, there's there's pins, there's contact pins that slide into the system, and then you push it down and you close the little door. But the which the is printer, insane. Yeah, okay, it's right. Bonkers, it's like a VCR. It does not need to be. Literally, well, was, that only, was the whole point of it. It was it because was of the like whole. VCR, yeah. yeah, nobody right. wanted to carry video games anymore in the America in the United States. They wanted to make it look like an entertainment system instead right, which of. Is, a video game. So instead they made this weird thing where you got to bend the contacts into place. Right. And the the net effect of that is like you, over time you'd be pushing down on the contacts and instead of just sitting in there, like you would any other like ROM to motherboard, you know, configuration, uh, it pushes it down and then it gets loose so that you put it in by like the third or fourth time. You all of a sudden you're like, you have to blow on it. That's what the trick everybody did uh, because it introduced moisture to make the contact. It worked, but it wasn't great. Uh, to shimming it back and forth, to jamming another one in on top of it, you know, every the single, right angle. Every single person had a different way to get their NES. Stick like, it in everybody. the freezer or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> and you would know, like everybody had their ritual, right? Like and it, someone could come up and like tap it and it would work and you would spend 15 minutes trying to get it to go. So like that was that was a thing from day one almost. Yeah. Like that was- Oh my God, really- or when they'd start glitching out in the middle of a game. Right, you got it to work finally, and then you start playing it, and an hour in, it just starts getting all funky looking. Mm-hmm. Or you just you got to a you're playing Ninja Gaiden, right? Another great series. We barely we didn't even yeah. mention it today. So you're playing yeah. Ninja Gaiden, and you get to a boss, and you get so angry, you start stomping on the floor. But you stop the it on the floor, jars the cart loose, and then the game's over, and you got to start over again. Yep. So yeah, back in my day. Um, no, I will say, like even <laughs> work, even working at the store, like putting brand new seventy two pin connectors in them, like. Even right off the bat, like there's still such a pain to get to work, and yeah. like I don't know, that's just one of those things. We usually are very upfront with people when they buy the original box. <laughs> Nintendo's like, listen, thirty I years this didn't work properly, and like it's gonna take you. It's not gonna work right off the bat every single time. It's just how that console's designed. There are and- two consoles that I have. Uh- uh, routinely talked, I regularly talk to people out of buying when I worked at the store, the NES and the Atari. Uh, oh, yeah, me too. The- like, just guys, I know you want to play it. And, like, here's some options to allow you to enjoy these amazing games in a modern, convenient way. Please yeah. don't buy the system. It will be back tomorrow. Oh, no. You're going to got- pull your hair out trying to get it to work. I don't know, man. No, I had pretty run. solid luck with Ataris. Yeah. You Considering never know, they're from though. the freaking oh, 70s. Oh, oh. So, well, Chris, here's the problem is people don't realize you have to do play with all these dip switches and they're all different for the different games so like and it's one of those things i can't get the game to work right and they just get frustrated and bring it back. why is this only in black and white how, how, how i can't start yeah. the game you have to it's hit the reset app. button <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's insane anyway we're way off track the whole point is like that's my final thought is that it, you know uh some of these games are worth going back to but the experience of playing a nintendo is kind of singularly unique in the video game history you know that it had this in america i should say at least yeah, that yeah. It, like it was this revolutionary system at the time because these games were fun and fascinating and engaging in a way that video games hadn't yet managed to be in at home uh but it also kind of didn't work 
great most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and but like you stuck with it and you loved it and it was just it was a unique experience. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning. Oh yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that as part of my childhood for anything. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. I will say my final thoughts on the system uh, from working in the store for th- over thirteen years now. Uh, um, uh, I'm. I know, and I know customers are always routinely shocked when we mention this, but like, it's amazing how much like the young generation, like kids and teenagers, are still into the NES and, and old Absolutely. video game consoles. Like, yeah. it's 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 one of those things that never has really gone anywhere for people that are into video games. It, it's just something about like all of the classic games for it, like have that lasting Nintendo appeal. Like this year, we're celebrating the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers. That is a game that people still will pay for. It's still fun to play. And it's still fun, yeah, oh, yeah. It's still fun right off the bat. There's so, and uh, you know a lot of these games have like this this charm and a polish. Like Mega Man is for all intents and purposes made by Nintendo. It's he fits so easily in with like Super Mario Brothers three for like uh, mm. from like a graphical standpoint and like an artistic standpoint. And like there's so there's just there's just something about the NES. It has this weird charm. Like yeah. people, when people usually yeah. make like retro games, if they don't make a 16-bit one, they clearly are inspired by the NES. Like I mentioned Shovel Knight earlier. Great game, but like the indie game development, like seeing like has a lot of stuff that tries to emulate the feel of a, a, an NES game. So it's mm-hmm. something that still uh, permeates the, I think the mindset of people that are into video games uh, still. And that's, I think really yeah, impressive. And in a way, like nobody talks about Sega Master System you know yeah like, not in america yeah yeah <laughs> head, head, head down to brazil it's a different animal or, well, or europe well we're in america so that's the only thing they're making genesis um, down there in brazil i think i know that yeah, they still are making master system games down there but, but, but yeah I, the master system had anyway. no traction in america and i mean you look at that thing and it's pretty easy to tell why i mean marketing <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking with those boxes, man. Like, oh yeah, well, let's they, make they, they wanted you to do graph paper. We want to remind you of homework. Um, we could, we they, could have a whole episode. Yeah, on the box we, I might have a for the Sega Master yeah, System yeah. games because I freaking hate and love. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I also have a love hate relationship with that. But you know what I mean, like, yeah, yeah, in, totally. in, like people don't talk about ColecoVision in the mm-hmm. same way. Or it was Nintendo. Yeah, every video games were just called a Nintendo because of yeah. Games. It was a it was a gigantic gigantic success. Revitalized the whole industry here in America. Oh yeah, no, there's so many uh, gaming historians. Another good YouTube channel going to the watch his video on the origin of uh, Rob uh, for how the Nintendo kind of saved the video game crash. Yeah, Um, (laughs) I love Rob. He's so cool. I do too, but (laughs) he's not to play with. He's not. He's just cool to have. Uh, yeah, he's a cool thing. Unless you're playing with him in Smash Brothers, but um, <laughs> but I, I I think that's gonna wrap it up for this episode for us because we can go on all kinds of tangents. Yeah, you gotta stop us. Yeah, yeah we got. Yeah, I gotta nip it in the bud. Starting, starting to get late now, and I don't want to edit a longer one than I have right now. Um, Fair enough. Uh, but thank you guys so much for joining me and for for you know giving me your time. I love talking Nintendo. I'm sure we'll talk about it again oh, at anytime. some point. Um, uh, thank you guys for uh, you know listeners for uh watching us um we're now on uh itunes we're on soundcloud spotify we're on our website levelupentertainment.com we're on our youtube uh we're on our you know you can watch this on your facebook so there's all kinds of ways to like watch and share this and and get it out there and appreciate any likes or ratings or whatever format yeah just smash that like button yeah ring ring that bell give us five stars yada yada (laughs) um 
but yes, that'll do us for this time. So until next time, stay safe out there. Can I can I make a quick plug, please? Oh, pretty yeah. please? Oh, sure, sure, sure. We sure. were just talking about all this Nintendo stuff. Um, I also uh, have the privilege to write for a physical magazine called Nintendo Force. Mm-hmm. Ta-da. This is oh, a, uh, a wonderful physical magazine. It's the follow-up to Nintendo Power. Uh, after Nintendo Power went under, uh, Lucas Thomas, who uh, worked for IGN at the time, uh, decided that this would not stand. And so he gathered a bunch of other people uh, across the internet to make a physical magazine that follows up on uh, the, the heels of Nintendo Power. And it is, I was a huge fan of it. And uh, for some reason, at a certain point, they let me write for it. And now I'm a staff writer for it. And it's... It's amazing. It's like five bucks an issue. You can jump on their Patreon. There's an issue comes it. out every other month. They Everyone still come with posters. This is the <gasps> new one. Came with this <laughs> poster. Oh, I had that. Oh, I had a lunchbox with that exact art on it. Isn't that, it oh my great? God. That's the Famicom art for Super Mario. Yeah, Brothers. it is. That is yeah. awesome. Uh, this new current <laughs> issue has got a whole thing where we broke yeah, down year by year Mario's history, uh, which was super awesome that's very excellent cart down there um so yes uh nintendo force magazine uh check them out on patreon uh they're it's a really for five bucks an issue or, or however much it is an issue i don't remember exactly how much it is but you get a free poster in every issue and a physical magazine and it's so good and i'm not just saying it because they let me write for it it's a great magazine yeah buy it i'm sure you've spent more on worse <laughs> i don't doubt that well again uh I'll say goodbye one more time Uh, Thank you guys again for coming on. Thank you for listening. Um, So until next time, be safe.